Thanks for tuning into this JNMP podcast. For many of us, neuropsychological testing is an important diagnostic tool for a range of neurological and psychiatric disorders. But the results aren't always what they seem. In our editor's choice for September, we highlight a systematic review on performance validity test failure in clinical populations. And joining me now to discuss their paper is its lead author, Dr. Laura McWerther. Dr. McWerther is the Bailey Gifford Clinical Research Fellow at the Centre for Dementia Prevention at the University of Edinburgh, and she's also a practising general adult and liaison neuropsychiatrist. So a very warm welcome and thanks for joining us today, Dr. McWerther. Hi, and thank you for having me. So I might start by asking you if you can tell us a little more about what um, performance validity tests are uh, and why they're used in neuropsychological assessments. Okay, so performance validity tests are primarily used by clinical neuropsychologists and they're used alongside other uh, cognitive psychometric tests. Um, And their purpose is to detect um, invalid profiles of performance, uh, for example, due to poor effort or due to willful exaggeration of cognitive impairment. Um, so, So broadly, these tests are sort of objectively easy so that um, even we, we would expect even somebody with a degree of cognitive impairment to be able to manage them, but they, they appear difficult. And they can be either standalone tests or, or sometimes are embedded in, in other cognitive test batteries. And I think it's worth saying that, that they have been in the past uh, and sometimes still, especially in the UK, um, are called effort tests. But, but more generally, they're now referred to as performance validity tests due to a better understanding that they don't necessarily detect the reasons for invalid performance, only that the performance is invalid. So can you tell us about the aims of your study and how you generated the list of studies for inclusion in your final review? Sure. So I think it's probably helpful to say that the background to my interest in this area is that um, my current clinical research project, which is looking at um, improving the recognition and diagnosis of functional cognitive disorders. Um, And this is something that people have asked me about a lot. What are effort tests useful? What do they tell us in in this population? Um, so, So but when I was trying to unpick what these tests are and what the results mean, Um, I found it quite difficult to get to grips with. A lot of the studies look at people who are seeking disability benefits or involved in litigation. And some other studies are in very mixed clinical populations. And I think I'm also interested clinically because I've seen patients with a range of conditions who've performed poorly in effort tests. And it's been really difficult to interpret this in the context of a combination of their deficits and a range of other social and, and emotional factors. So I was really keen to try and better understand this area. So what what I tried to identify was base rates for performance validity test performance in clinical populations who are not known to be litigating. Of course, we we can never know for sure, but we're not known to be litigating or seeking compensation. And I was, you know, we were really surprised that this hadn't been done before because it seems like an important important thing to know if if you're using a test to detect something that is going to have a significant influence on what happens to a person in terms of their treatment or litigation or compensation, it, you'd think it would be important to know, well, how, how would somebody with a, a range of diseases do in this test? Um, so anyway, so this is what we undertook to, to do. It was a, a bigger task than initially <laughs> anticipated and uh, a difficult search as well, because it's not always uh, easy to identify that this is a study of a performance validity test. So we, we took a pr- pragmatic approach to the search and we searched for performance validity tests, symptom validity test and, and effort test. 
um, and we screened, I think, nearly 2,000 or 1,641 titles and abstracts, uh, lots of full texts, and um, we identified a total of 69 studies which were included in this review. So from the data you review, uh, can you tell us about the most frequently used performance validity tests and uh, I suppose what some of their strengths and limitations are? Okay, so well, we identified a really large number of um, performance validity tests. And I have to say, I don't think this is an exhaustive list of all of the, the validity tests. It was quite a difficult search. Uh, and even within that, was, so we found, I think, 45 different PBTs. But within that, there are also there's a range of different cutoff scores that are used for different tests. And it's not, not always clear why a different cutoff score might be used. The most common tests were the, the word memory test and the medical symptom validity test, all by um, designed by Paul Green in the US, uh, and the test of memory malingering. I think the strengths of them is that they're, they're probably the most studied tests, there's the most data on them. And just from a point of view of my own clinical research, the, the medical symptom validity test is one of the few where um, a license is available to use it for, for non-neuropsychologists. Of the embedded tests, the reliable digit span, which is, is usually part of the um, Vexler adult intelligence scale, um, is also quite frequently studied. So quite a huge amount of work went into this and very helpfully you've uh, broken down your results by clinical diagnosis. So maybe you can talk us through the key results from these uh, performance validity tests. Okay, sure. So, so I think it is difficult because I, I tried to break them down by diagnosis, but what, what we really found was a, hu a huge range, um, a huge range in different tests, different cutoff scores. Uh, and it, was, it meant that it was quite difficult to pool failure rates for particular tests and particular disorders. We looked at a, a few different areas. So, so mild cognitive impairment, which is, of course, not a diagnosis, but a clinical description. People who have a bit more cognitive impairment than we would expect for age, but uh, not so much that we would um, give them a diagnosis of dementia and not usually associated with functional impairment. And in this group, we found, for example, pooled failure rates on the reliable digit span of about 16% using the most commonly used cutoff. Quite a lot of people failing the word memory test, although helpfully that test also, uh, most of them met what's called a dementia profile. So although they failed, the pattern of results is interpreted as more likely due to the extent of their cognitive impairment. We looked at um, epilepsy. We found, again, very variable rates, uh, a study where 35% of 72 people failed the test of memory malingering, uh, another where 31% of 17 participants failed the word memory test. We looked at acquired brain injury, where we found, again, a, just a huge, huge variation, but particularly that, that in both mild and moderate severe TBI, quite significant failure rates up over sort of 25 to 40%. And finally, so my area of interest, functional disorders, we found, interestingly, that, again, a really widespread of failure rates, but not really higher than in other conditions. So we found, for example, um, if we pooled the failure rates on the test of memory malingering, we found 10% of 132 people included in three studies failed that test. So I think overall, what we found was that failing performance validity tests, single performance validity tests, that is, whatever that might mean, it, it's not a rare event. It's quite common in a whole range of clinical conditions. Yeah, and I suppose that's what surprised me when I read your paper was particularly, as you, as you mentioned there, that those with functional disorders didn't necessarily outperform or outfail those with what we would consider um, neurodegenerative um, 
of neurological disorders. So, uh, from you know, you're, you go to a very uh, nice discussion and you you lay out some of the reasons for these failures. But one of the things that listeners might want to know is, given that there is a reasonable high um, failure rate on on these tests, do you think that has a wider implication for the future of neuropsychological testing in these clinical populations? I think potentially. Um, I mean, I think firstly to say uh, the way that we've um, analysed the results here, looking at single failure rates, doesn't necessarily reflect what clinical neuropsychologists do in practice. And most of the time they would be expected to use several uh, failure on several effort tests to define an invalid performance and also to look at that in the, in the wider context. But, but nevertheless, we think it is important to look at the individual tests and the individual um, failure rates. I think we speculate about lots of different potential reasons for invalid performance in the in the paper, and I think there's there's a huge range: memory impairment, apathy, fatigue, um, an attention deficit due to pain or other cognitive or somatic symptoms. Uh, and I think we also speculate that it's possible in some cases that even excessive focus on uh, on symptoms might be unhelpful. Excessive focus on the test. Um, and that's something we see in functional motor disorders where patients have symptoms that improve when attention is diverted to somewhere else. And, and I think we see that when, we're te- when we do cognitive tests in people with functional cognitive disorders. They really struggle with cognitive tests, but in other areas where they aren't concentrating so much on, on what, they're, what they're doing. So, for example, they, they, they do better. So, for example, where they might be able to effortlessly give you a really detailed accounts of events that have involved their memory failing them. So, so I think one of the things that we speculate about is whether excessive or misdirected effort might cause test failure in some patients. But, but I guess to get back to you, your question about the wider implications, well, I think firstly, these results, they, they raise more questions than they do provide answers. We don't really know what's causing the invalid performance in, in any of the patients included in this, in this study. And, and I think that points to a need for a bit of a change of approach or an additional approach to looking at these tests. And rather than um, repeated tests of the same effort, the same validity tests and, and new validity tests, comparing failure rates to other validity tests, I think it would be helpful to take a more sort of cognitive neuroscience approach, uh, sort of lab-based experimental work to try and better understand what's actually going on when somebody fails a validity test. But yeah, in terms of wider implications for neuropsychological testing more broadly, I think it suggests that a bit of a need for caution, not only with validity tests, but with neuropsychological tests in general. Because while we don't know what PVT failure necessarily means, we do know that it means that there's a problem with the other tests that that patient's doing. And we would liken this to, and we liken it in the paper to, say, movement artifact on an MRI scan. It shows you that it's a problem, but it doesn't tell you what the cause of that problem is. Or, you know, and it just it just makes everything fuzzy. And of course, neuropsychological tests aren't only um, expert clinical neuropsychologists. They're they're used in, in research. They're used in clinical practice by people who probably are less aware of these issues. And I think you know it does raise the possibility that some of our clinical decisions and research findings might be based on results of psychological tests that are less accurately representative of patient abilities than, than we think. So I, I guess um, for me that that takeaway there is that, that you know, don't rely on a single, um, a single investigation to, to reach a conclusion. So I think this is a very, you know, a, a fascinating overview and a very timely overview of, of this area of performance validity tests 
Uh, and I'd encourage you all to download um, the paper in full, which is freely available at the JNNP website. But for now, I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Laura McWherther, for joining me and I uh, hope you'll all tune in the next time. Thank you.